Alright, welcome back to chapter 15, Shock and Resuscitation. Our overview is uh, shock, resuscitation, and cardiac arrest, automatic external defibrillation, and cardiopulmonary resuscitation, recognizing and treating cardiac arrest, special considerations for the AED. Alright, your case study introduction, EMTs, Tess Price, and Steph, Steph Bowman are responding to a report of a chest pain along with the crew from Engine 9. The general impression is of a man in his 50s who is sitting in a recliner, hands on chest, and <clears throat> excuse me, and in apparent distress. He is pale and extremely sweaty. <clears throat> the EMTs confirm a chief complaint of chest pain and continue their assessment as they begin treatment. Tess is immediately concerned with the weak, rapid radial pulse and labored respirations. What is the significance of the weak, rapid, and labored respirations? What could explain the weak, rapid pulse and labored respirations? And what should the EMTs do to manage this patient? Remember, I encourage you to pause this video and write these questions down so you can answer them as we go along. Alright, shock is a state of inadequate perfusion of the cells that can lead to death. The body's attempts to restore homeostasis results in many signs and symptoms of shock. Resuscitation is the emergency care provided to restore vital body functions. Shock is defined as inadequate tissue perfusion or hypoperfusion. Inadequate amounts of oxygen and glucose are available to cells to meet metabolic needs. And inadequate waste product removal. Shock is a shift from aerobic to anaerobic metabolism that results in decreased energy production and waste product accumulation. Cellular uh, sodium and potassium pump fails, leading to cell death. Cell death results in organ failure. When our cells die, we die. The treatment of shock is aimed at restoring perfusion to provide the cells with glucose and oxygen. Oxygen delivery to the cells is critical and requires breathing in an adequate amount of oxygen. Diffusion of oxygen from alveoli to pulmonary capillaries. Oxygen transport to the cellular level. Release of oxygen at the cellular level. The etiologies of shock. Poor tissue perfusion is caused by one or more of these problems. Inadequate volume inadequate pump function, and inadequate vessel tone. Inadequate volume means inadequate uh, amounts of blood being pumped from the heart to the rest of the body. Inadequate pump function means the pump just, the heart cannot pump adequate amount, an adequate amount of blood. An inadequate vessel tone means constriction or dilation, uh, constricting or <clears throat> excuse me, constricting or slowing down the uh, rate of perfusion. Inadequate volume is a decreased blood volume, and de which decreases preload. Decreased preload causes stroke volume and cardiac output to fall. Decreased cardiac output causes a drop in systolic blood pressure. And decreased systolic blood pressure results in inadequate tissue perfusion. Inadequate volume may result from a loss of whole blood or plasma volume which is bleeding, uh, which can be from bleeding, vomiting, and diarrhea. 
excessive urination, and increased capillary leakage. The patient's going to require an increase in blood volume. If red blood cells have been lost, there is a decrease in oxygen carrying capacity, as well as a decrease in pressure and perfusion. Inadequate pump function. If the heart fails as a pump, regardless of the blood volume, the delivery of oxygen and glucose to the cells decrease. Inadequate pump function may occur from myocardial infarction or heart failure or mechanical obstruction to blood flow, uh, which would be uh, precardial tamponade, which is the uh, pericardial sac filling up with blood and compressing against the heart and then attention pneumothorax where everything is being pushed to one side because of air in the thoracic cavity causing pressure to be put on the heart. Giving fluids may worsen the condition. <clears throat> Inadequate vessel tone. Blood pressure is a function of cardiac output and systemic vascular resistance. If SVR decreases from vasodilation, blood pressure decreases. And there is vasodilation on the left. You see normal uh, blood vessel. And on the right, you see a dilated blood vessel. So there's still the same amount of blood, except now that there's more space in the vessel. Inadequate vessel tone, so massive vasodilation can occur from loss of sympathetic nervous system functions or chemicals released in the body. Treatment includes vasoconstriction and volume restoration. <clears throat> um, in, inadequate vessel tone, the treatment of shock depends on underlying causes. Consider requesting ALS, but weigh the benefit against any potential delay in reaching the hospital. So here's some categories, types of shock. <clears throat> you see uh, hypovolemic shock comes from, uh, can be hemorrhagic, non-hemorrhagic, could also, which uh, would be a burn. You can see how it goes off of there. So shock is in the middle, and it gives you the five different ones. So we'll start the hypovolemic. Can be from hemo, hemorrhagic. I'll get it out. Non-hemorrhagic, which would be consistent with a burn. Then you have cardiogenic from a heart attack, which is an MI. Uh, from CHF, car, um, congestive heart failure. Then from beta blockers, calcium channel blockers. Uh, from abnormal rhythms and from depressed pump function, which would be a pericardial tamponade or tension in the thorax. Then you have uh, metabolic and respiratory shock, disturbances in oxygen diffusion, carrying, offloading, or use by cells. Then obstructive shock from tension in the thorax, uh, from a pulmo pulmonic embolism, which is a blockage in the lung, arteries in the lung, uh, and pericardial tamponade. Then you have distributive which would be septic, um, sepsis, where there's an there's just bacteria in the in the body and the fluid in the body, and 
in the blood causing an infection, neurogenic, um, where our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems aren't working, and then there's anaphylactic, which would be uh, a result from a severe allergic reaction. All right, categories of shock. Hypovolemic shock is caused by low blood volume. So hypo meaning low, volume meaning volume, emic referring to blood, hypovolemic, low blood volume. Hemorrhage is the most common cause of hypovolemic shock. And later on, we'll get into uh, controlling bleeding and things like that. Also uh, caused by burns and dehydration. Burns, um, even though they may not hemorrhage, but the body will leak fluids uh, through the burn itself. And A is hemorrhagic hypovolemia, which is loss of whole blood, which means everything. Uh, the platelets, plasma, all that stuff. And then B is non-hemorrhagic hypovolemia, which is the loss of just the plasma. Distributive shock <clears throat> caused by vasodilation leading to a relative reduction in intravascular volume can also involve fluid loss from increased capillary permeability. Cardiogenic shock caused by the inability of the heart to con contract effectively uh, generally occurs with the loss of 40% or greater of the left ventricular volume. That would be the blood volume in the left ventricle. Uh, stroke volume and cardiac output are reduced. All right, heart attack as a cause of cardiogenic shock. So in, in this field, we're going to refer to heart attacks as MIs, myocardial infarctions. So if I say your patient's having an MI, that means they're having a heart attack. Okay, so damaged heart muscle results in reduced force of contractions, reduced stroke volume, and reduced cardiac output. So you see it um, circled there. You see the little tissue death going on or the damaged uh, muscle. Um, contractile force is reduced. It means it's, it's an inability for the ventricle to contract properly. A stroke volume is reduced. That means it can't contract properly. They can't pump out enough blood. And then cardiac, that, that results in cardiac output being reduced. Obstructive shock results from a condition that obstructs forward blood flow. Causes include pulmonary embolism, tension with thorax, and pericardial tamponade. Treat by relieving the obstruction. So we here see obstructive shock. A, you have pulmonary embolism as the uh, arteries of the uh, lungs and is blocking blocking the blood flow to the lungs. Then you have a tension in the thorax where the air in the thoracic cavity is pushing over on the lungs and the heart. Then pericardial tamponade where there's fluid built up in the pericardial sac. Metabolic or respiratory shock. Some, res some sources list metabolic or respiratory shock as a fifth category. Dysfunction is the ability of oxygen, excuse me, dysfunction in the ability of oxygen to diffuse into the blood, be carried by hemoglobin, offload at the cell, or be used effectively by the cell for metabolism. Hemorrhagic or hypo hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock. Uh, loss of whole blood from medical or tra uh, traumatic cause. 
uh, results in decreased perfusion pressure and decreased oxygen carrying capacity. Treat by stopping the bleeding and replacing blood or blood components. Non-hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock. Loss of fluid without the loss of red blood cells. So, uh, it can result from vomiting, diarrhea, and sweating. Administration of IV fluids can be helpful. Burn shock is a specific form of non-hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock resulting from a burn injury. Plasma and plasma proteins leak from damaged capillaries. Loss of fluid and plasma oncotic pressure leads to edema, that is swelling. Edema is swelling. <coughs> Excuse me. Anaphylactic shock. Chemical substances released in anaphylactic reaction cause massive systemic vasodilation and increased capillary permeability. Epinephrine is the medication of choice. Septic shock. Septic shock is another type of distributive shock. Bacteria and toxins in the blood lead to vasodilation and increased capillary permeability. Patient can benefit from ALS treatment. Okay, so here's some EMS screening tools to identify sepsis. You have the Robson screening tool, BAS 90-30-90 scale, and a, and a SOFA score, QSOFA score. So you read these. Um, I'll just read the top one, the Robson screening tool. Sepsis is suspected if two of the following findings are present with a suspected active infection. So you're going to get a temperature uh, reading here, the heart rate, respiratory rate, acute altered mental status, and a blood uh, glucose level of less than 120. So look at those, gives you an idea of uh, what you can do to um, recognize sepsis. <clears throat> Neurogenic shock, <clears throat> excuse me, spinal cord can cause loss of sympathetic nerve fiber functions responsible for maintaining blood vessel tone, loss of systemic vascular resistance. That means um, whenever the spinal cord is injured, it uh, just affects the, it, it causes the blood vessels the blood vessels to dilate and they just will not uh, constrict again back to normal. Cardiogenic shock causes uh, causes include acute myocardial infarction, congestive heart failure, abnormal cardiac rhythm, and overdose on certain drugs. Patients can benefit from ALS interventions. Okay, click on a term that best describes the type of shock that occurs when there is a massive systemic vasodilation. If you chose C, you are correct. When the blood vessels dilate, resulting in inadequate systemic vascular resistance to maintain perfusion, the types of shock is classified as distributive, <clears throat> anaphylactic, neurogenic, and septic shock are all forms of distributive shock. Okay, the body's response to shock. The body attempts to compensate to return perfusion to normal. Many signs and symptoms of shock are related to compensatory mechanisms. Sympathetic nervous system stimulation and the release of hormones are the two major compensatory mechanisms. Direct nerve stimulation, the effects of sympathetic stimulation are immediate. You'll see increased heart rate, increase in force of ventricular contraction, vasoconstriction, and stimulation of the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine from the adrenal gland. 
<clears throat> excuse me, the release of hormones, the effects of hormones or more sustained. Epinephrine has alpha and beta effects that cause vasoconstriction and increased cardiac output. Norepinephrine has alpha effects that cause vasoconstriction. Other hormones are also released. Here are the effects of alpha and beta stimulation. You see the receptor, alpha 1, beta 1, beta 2. Stimulatory effect and then sign or symptom. You can read these. I want you to read these, become familiar with them. It will help you on the test. The chart is continued. Continued again. Okay, the stages of shock are compensatory and decompensatory. The cycle of hemorrhagic shock, you see at the top, the loss of blood volume from the vascular, or starts with trauma, excuse me, right here. A trauma occurs, loss of blood volume from the vascular space, decreases cardiac output and pressure in the aorta, carotid, and peripheral arteries leading to a decrease of the, in the delivery of oxygen and glucose to cells and the removal of carbon dioxide. Which leads to baroreceptors trigger hormone release and sympathetic nervous system stimulation to increase cardiac output, blood pressure, and perfusion. A heart rate and contractility increase, vessels constrict, respiratory rate increases, and urine output decreases in an attempt to compensate and increase cardiac output, blood pressure, and perfusion. The patient exhibits tachycardia, weak peripheral pulses, decreased mental status, tachypnea, and pale, cool, and clammy skin. <clears throat> Continued volume loss overwhelms compensatory mechanisms and blood pressure falls tachycardia and tachypnea further increase, peripheral pulses are extremely weak and at, or absent mental status deteriorates. So it's at this point right here that the body is starting to decompensate. It was compensating from the time of the trauma, but right now it's starting to decompensate. It's, it's had enough, it's tired. The brain becomes ischemic and medulla fails, causing a severe drop in perfusion and blood pressure. The patient becomes unresponsive, heart rate severely increases and then drops dramatically. Blood pressure decreases significantly and may not be obtainable. Respirations increase and um, excuse me, decrease and become inadequate. Further decrease in blood volume, perfusion, and blood pressure leads to brain tissue multiple, uh, death, multiple organ failure, and eventually patient death. So that's how the body starts uh, compensating first and then starts decompensating. Uh, compensatory shock, the body is, is able to maintain near normal blood pressure and perfusion uh, of vital organs. Blood is shunted away from the non-vital areas such as the skin and gastrointestinal tract. Pulse pressure may be narrowed. Decompensatory shock, compensatory mechanisms are overwhelmed. The body can no longer maintain a blood pressure and perfusion of the vital organs. Anaerobic metabolism is occurring. Vital organs are not perfused. 
multiple organ dysfunction syndrome or MODS, the stage in which multiple organs begin to fail throughout the body from extreme or prolonged hypoxia, altered metabolism, and elevated carbon dioxide and acid levels, sometimes referred to as irreversible shock. So once they reach the level of MODS, it's possible that you're not going to get them back. Shock assessment. Uh, signs may be subtle or profound, but rapid recognition of shock is key to treatment. Consider history findings, physical assessment findings, signs of perfusion, disturbance, and vital signs. Do not rely on one finding or sign or symptom. Uh, when I teach you how to do patient assessments, you will learn how to put all your little clues together so that you can develop enough evidence to treat your shock or know if the patient's going into shock and then knowing how to treat them with other interventions. During your, hit, during your shock assessment, get a history, get a chief complaint, sample history. Uh, beta blockers and calcium channel blockers can alter the response to shock. Physical exam. Vital signs can appear normal in compensatory shock. Look for signs of poor perfusion. So here's a physical assessment indicators of hypovolemic shock. You look on the left is your vital signs and on the right are signs of poor perfusion. So you, you read all that, you decrease blood pressure, anxiety, anxiousness and, uh, that progresses to a decrease in mental status, um, narrowing pulse pressure, pale, cool and clammy skin, and yada yada yada. You can read these over and become familiar with them. Again, the chart is continued. Again, the chart is continued. I'm sorry. Hypovolemic shock, cardiogenic shock, and distributive shock, obstructive shock. Age considerations in shock. Age may influence the development, presentation management, and recovery from shock. Children can compensate well but deteriorate quickly. Geriatric patients do not compensate well. General goals of pre-hospital management of shock, secure and maintain a patent airway, establish and maintain adequate ventilation, establish and maintain adequate oxygenation, do not hyperventilate the shock patient, stop bleeding as quickly as possible. Splint fractures, do not delay transport, do not remove an impaled object, maintain the body temperature, keep the patient supine, Apply a PASG according to protocol. Rapidly transport. Consider ALS. A PASG is called a pneumonic, pneumatic, excuse me, pneumatic anti-shock garment. It is a big, uh, full-body garment. Um, it treats hypovolemic shock. Um, it reduces the maternal deaths due to uh, obstetrical hemorrhage. Um, so, like your patient, your pregnant patients, um, maybe got a spontaneous abortion or something like that. It can reduce uh, hemorrhage for that, but it can also reduce um, uh, 
hemorrhaging other patients. All right, finding that the patient is confused, the EMTs complete a rapid secondary assessment and obtain a history from the patient's wife as the engine crew helps them prepare for patient transport. Test finds that the patient's respirations are 28 and labored and that he has crackles in his lungs. His heart rate is 116 with a blood pressure of 100 over 72 and an SpO2 of 92%. Is this patient in shock? Explain your answer. What intervention should the patient be receiving? What are the potential consequences of failing to intervene proper, appropriately or in a timely manner? Remember, write these questions down so you can answer them as we go along. Okay, resuscitation and cardiac arrest. Resuscitation means bringing a patient back from potential or apparent death. Now, I'm going to, before we go into this, this is going to be a recap of your um, BLS CPR training. So, um, every little bit helps because you will have to do a CPR AED station at registry. Resuscitation focus on, focuses on management of the airway, ventilation, and oxygenation, and restoring adequate circulation. Cardiac arrest occurs when the ventricles of the heart are not contracting or cardiac output is ineffective and no pulse can be felt. Brain cells begin to die within four to six minutes following cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest patients are described as having suffered sudden death when the patient dies within one hour of the onset of the signs and symptoms. A common cause of cardiac arrest is ventricular fibrillation. Ventricular fibrillation can be treated with defibrillation. Defibrillation is to be um, used when you use an AED, automatic external, external defibrillator. Pathophysiology of cardiac arrest. The patient goes through three phases of cardiac arrest that lead to biological death. Electrical phase, circulatory phase, and metabolic phase. The electrical phase is the first four minutes. The heart still has a supply of oxygen and glucose. Conditions are favorable for resuscitation. The heart is prepared to respond to defibrillation. Excuse me, circulatory phase, 4 through 10 minutes after cardiac arrest. Oxygen stores are exhausted, myocardial cells switch to anaerobic metabolism. CPR is needed to restore supply of oxygen and glucose to enhance the possibility of successful defibrillation. The metabolic phase begins 10 minutes after cardiac arrest. The heart muscle is acidic and ischemic and begins to die. Chances of resuscitation are unfavorable. <clears throat> Terms related to out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, resuscitation, are downtime, total downtime, return of spontaneous circulation, ROSC is what we call that, R-O-S-C, uh, survival, witness cardiac arrest, and unwitnessed cardiac arrest. Withholding a resuscitation attempt. Do not resuscitate orders like a DNR um, have to be valid. They have to be current. They have to be by medical direction, signed by a doctor. Um, they have to uh, they have to be legal, you know, notarized, all that good stuff. Um, physicians' orders for life-sustaining treatment. Um, that's going to be your medical direction. Medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. Uh, following protocols and injuries incompatible with life, um, 
you'll you'll know if somebody injured enough that they they don't they're just not compatible with life. You'll know when you get there on scene. In 2015, AHA chain of survival. Successful resuscitation depends on a sequence of events. The chain of survival is slightly different for pediatric patients. <clears throat> Remember when we went over in our BLS class, um, the chain of survival, if it's uh, witnessed, the kid has, you witness the kid um, or child or infant um, fall or collapse, then you can go call and activate the uh, emergency response system. But if you use unwitnessed, you must stay there and do at least two minutes of CPR. Um, AHA 2015, out-of-hospital care, adult chain of survival, immediate recognition and activation of the uh, emergency uh, response system, immediate high-quality CPR, rapid defibrillation, so get an AED as quick as you can, basic and advanced emergency medical services, call, that means call EMS, and advanced life support and post-arrest care. We need to get ALS there, get them to the hospital. Uh, pediatric chain of survival, prevention of arrest, uh, early high-quality CPR, rapid activation of EMS, effective advanced life support and rapid transport, integrated post-cardiac arrest care. All right, the rationale for early defibrillation. The most frequent initial rhythm in sudden cardiac arrest is ventricular fibrillation, or as we call V-fib. The most effective treatment for ventricular fibrillation is defibrillation. That's an AED. The probability of successful defibrillation decreases over time. That means the longer you wait to apply an AED, the worse it's going to be for your patient. The most frequent initial rhythm in sudden cardiac arrest is ventricular fibrillation. Oh, I'm reading the wrong one. All right. Uh, successful defibrillation depends on effective CPR. Interruptions and chest compressions for defibrillation must be minimized. So we must be doing continuous compressions as long as we can. Without intervention, ventricular fibrillation degenerates to asystole. Asystole is an unshockable rhythm. That is what most of you know as a flat line. Okay, push hard and push fast to provide effective chest compressions and CPR. Compressions at least uh, at a rate of at least 100 beats per minute. Compressions to ventilation ratio of 30 and 2 for adults, and in infants and children, it's 15 and 2 if you have two rescuers. But if it's only one rescuer, it's 30 and 2. Minimize interruptions for defibrillation and avoid excessive ventilation. We're going to ventilate our patient once every 5 to 6 seconds. Types of defibrillators. Manual defibrillators require extensive training to use. Automated defibrillators are simpler to use. The advantage of AEDs, um, which will be the speed of operation, safer, more effective shock delivery, and more efficient monitoring. Types of AEDs, fully automated and semi-automated. AEDs may use a monophasic or biphasic waveform. Here is a, a LifePak 1000 defibrillator. Has the pads and everything in there. You just open it up and turn it on. It's ready to use. The infant, infant and child pads for physio control. LifePak 1000. Most of your ADs nowadays are going to come with infant and child pads. 
All right, analysis of cardiac rhythms, ventricular fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia, asystole, and pulseless electri electrical activity. These are the things the AED is going to recognize. There you go. We're not paramedics, but there's an EKG strip of ventricular fibrillation. Chaotic electrical discharge, as seen on the EKG tracing. Ventricular tachycardia, you notice the waveform is a little different. Asystole, flat line. Okay, no one should touch the patient during AD rhythm analysis for shock delivery. Movement interferes with rhythm analysis. The electrical energy can be transmitted to anyone touching the patient. When and when not to use AED. ADs can be used in patients of all ages. Manual defibrillation is preferred for those less than a year of age. A dose of attenuating system uh, is preferred, preferred for use in children. And the adult use adult pads with children greater than eight years of age. Pediatric pads. Infant pads. Okay, recognizing and treating cardiac arrest. Scene size up in primary assessment for cardiac arrest. If a patient appears unresponsive without signs of life, quickly check for breathing and carotid pulse. Assess for no longer than 10 seconds. If the patient is apneic or has agonal respirations, begin CPR with a CAB approach. Patients less than a year of age. If heart rate is greater than 60, with inadequate ventilation, assist or provide ventilations at 12 to 20 per minute. If the heart rate is less than 60 or a pulse is absent, begin chest compressions. Patients uh, less than a year of age, 30 compressions. Two ventilations for one EMT performing CPR. 15 compressions and two ventilations for two EMTs performing CPR. One year of age to puberty, same thing, 30 and 2 for one uh, person doing CPR and 15 and 2 for two people doing CPR. Adolescents with signs of puberty and adults, 30 and 2, 30 compressions, two, two breaths. Uh, 100, 100 to 120 beats a minute, compression depth of at least 2 inches, and for an obviously pregnant patient, displace the uterus laterally. What that means is you're going to raise the patient's right side by putting towels or cloths underneath it, ever so slightly. During your secondary assessment, attempt to obtain a history from the bystanders or relatives, but do not interrupt chest compressions or delay defibrillation. Emergency medical care, continued CPR and defibrillation is indicated. Reassessment, once perfusion is restored, continue reassessment. Patients may revert into cardiac arrest. Using an AED, ideally at least two EMTs are present. Take standard precautions, perform a brief primary assessment, perform CPR, minimizing breaks, prepare and apply the AED, 
analyze the rhythm and defibrillate as recommended by the AED. No, the AED is not your boss, but you still need to treat it as such when you're on scene. It's going to give you um, prompts. It's easy to use. It's still your scene, but you need to treat it as such because it is the one thing that's detecting that irregular rhythm. So again, using an AED, ideally uh, at least two EMTs are present. Take standard precautions. Perform a brief primary assessment. Perform CPR, minimizing breaks. Prepare and apply the AED and analyze the rhythm and defibrillate as recommended by the AED. Okay, using a semi-automated AED. Any unresponsive patient uh, suspected of being in cardiac arrest, quickly assess for apnea or agonal ventilations and a pulse. One EMT should immediately initiate CPR beginning with chest compressions while the other EMT prepares the AED. Turn on the AED and follow the prompts. Apply the defibrillation pads while chest compressions are being performed. Minimize any interruption in chest compressions. Clear the patient for rhythm analysis. Deliver a defibrillation if advised. Immediately resume CPR beginning with chest compressions. Follow the defibrillation. Following the defibrillation. The AED is still on and is still telling you what to do. After two minutes of CPR, follow the AED prompts to check breathing and pulse in a non-shockable rhythm. Use of the AD by a single EMT. Simultaneously verify that the patient is unresponsive with no breathing and no pulse. Call for additional EMS and the AD. Immediately begin chest compressions and apply the AD as soon as it is available. Minimize interruption of compressions. Cardiac arrest in a pregnant patient. A pregnant patient in cardiac arrest who is at 20 weeks of gestation or greater. Uh, it is necessary to place the patient in a supine position and to manually displace the uterus off the vena cava when doing chest compressions. Transporting the cardiac arrest patient after emergency care procedures and operating AED if ALS is not responding to the scene. Transport if the patient regains a pulse or your protocol indicates transport after a prescribed number of shocks or no shock indicated messages. Transporting a patient with a pulse, provide oxygen ventilation as needed, have suction ready, uh, transfer the patient to the ambulance, consider getting ACLS to the patient. ACLS is advanced cardiac life support, and that's going to come from paramedics and above. Also nurses. Keep the AED attached, perform a secondary assessment, and reassess every five minutes. Transporting a patient without a pulse, continue CPR and defibrillation. Follow your protocol. Use extreme caution when defibrillating in an ambulance. And rendezvous with ALS as early as possible. Post-resuscitation care. Indication that ROSC has occurred. A pulse is felt after the AED indicates a no-shock advisory. Patient regains spontaneous breathing and patient begins to move. Upon ROSC, assess the patient's ventilations, avoid potential oxygen toxicity issues. 
providing for advanced cardiac life support. The AHA's 2015, uh, 2015 uh, chain of survival advocates for advanced cardiac life support. Minimize the time from delivery of CPR and defibrillation to the arrival of ACLS. All right, summary, uh, assessment and care review assessment findings that may be associated with cardiac arrest and emergency care for cardiac arrest. Um, the following are findings that indicate cardiac arrest. These findings are obtained during the primary assessment. The patient is unresponsive and not breathing, and they're pulseless. Emergency, cardiac, emergency care protocol for cardiac arrest. Take standard precautions. Perform a brief primary assessment on the patient. In the, is the patient uh, if the patient is unresponsive, is apneic or has agonal ventilation, has no pulse. Um, a check for ventilations and a pulse for no longer than five seconds. Uh, no, no less than five seconds, no longer than ten. And no other signs of life. Immediately initiate CPR, beginning with chest compressions. Uh, CPR, chest compressions, um, as soon as the AED is available, apply it, keep doing chest compressions. When the AED is ready to do a uh, check for a rhythm, it's going to tell you, stop chest compressions and have everybody move. Continue with chest compressions while the AED is uh, uh, ready for operation, turn on power of the AED, attach the pads um, in the proper place. Minimizing interruption to the chest compressions. Um, it's going to begin the analysis of the patient's cardiac rhythm. If it asks you to give shock, you push the button, it'll deliver shock. Uh, if not, it'll tell you to continue um, CPR. After shock has been delivered, immediately resume CPR, beginning with chest compressions, performing CPR for approximately two minutes. After two minutes, the AD reanalyzes the rhythm. If a shock is indicated, proceed with the defibrillation, then immediately resume CPR, beginning with chest compressions. If the AD gives a prompt to check breathing and pulse, quickly assess the patient's breathing and pulse. The AD may indicate the patient now has a pulse or no longer has a shockable rhythm. If the patient is unresponsive, apneic, or has agonal ventilations and has no pulse, immediately resume CPR, beginning with chest compressions. Continue to repeat this sequence. If the patient has a pulse, continue to ventilate. Uh, continuously reassess your patient. Follow your local protocol regarding when to transport the patient in cardiac arrest. All right, click on the compression to ventilation ratio used when two EMTs are performing CPR on a five-year-old child. If you chose 15 and 2, you are correct. Alright, test is assisting the patient's ventilation with the bag valve mask and supplemental oxygen as they begin to transport to the emergency department. Two minutes into the transport, the patient becomes unresponsive and has agonal respirations. Staff quickly checks for a carotid pulse but cannot detect one. What is the sequence of the steps that test and staff must take to maximize the chance of successful resuscitation? What safety concerns are there in carrying out these steps? Again, pause, write these questions down so you can answer them as we go along. Special considerations for the AED. Safety considerations. Clear everyone from a patient before delivering a shock. Do not defibrillate a patient who is wet. Use caution defibrillating on metal surfaces. Remove transdermal medication patches on the chest, and I will say that as soon as you remove it, 
wipe that area clean, get that medicine off of there, and remove excessive chest hair. You can use a razor. If you don't have a razor, if you have an extra set of pads, put your pads where they go and then rip them off. AED maintenance, schedule maintenance is critical. Replace batteries on schedule. Allow machine to perform self-check at the beginning of the shift. Have extra batteries available. Training and skills management. Refresh and maintain skills through continuing education. All of your licenses will have to be renewed in two years, including your CPR certification. Do incident review. Look at incidents and say, you know, where, where do we go wrong here? What could, we, what could we have done better? Maintain knowledge of protocols. Know your protocols and where you work. Medical direction in the AED. AEDs are used under the authority of medical direction. Medical directors play several roles in an AED program, including ensuring EMT skills and quality improvements. Cardiac pacemakers. Do not place AED pads directly over the pacemaker. Put it right below. As close as you can, but right below, but not right on top of it. That's what a pacemaker is going to look like. There's a pacemaker in this young man right here. Right there. Watch that we don't put um, pads over that pacemaker. Automatic implanted cardioverter defibrillators. These are defibrillators that are implanted in the patient's body. They detect rhythm disturbances and deliver shock. Do not place AED pads over the ICD. If the ICD is operating, allow 30 to 60 seconds for it to complete its cycle before, before attaching the AED. Automatic chest compression devices. Mechanical piston devices, load distributing band or vest, impedance threshold device. These devices wrap around the patient and they do chest compressions for you. One that you can go look at, this is the, one of the most popular ones, it's called the Lucas machine. Here's one that uses a band. That This white uh, life band right here goes around the patient's chest. The head sits here and that band squeezes up and down. To depress the chest. Okay, case study conclusion. Signaling the EMT who is driving to pull to the side of the road. Steph immediately begins chest compressions as test continues airway management. They perform CPR with a ratio of 30 compressions to two ventilations. As an EMT from the engine crew attaches the AED. The AED detects a shockable rhythm and after clearing the patient, the EMT delivers shock. Test immediately resumes chest compressions as they resume transport. Two minutes after defibrillation, Steph stops CPR to check a pulse. The patient has a weak radial pulse. Test continues ventilations as Steph gives an update to the receiving hospital. Care okay, summary shock is a critical condition related to a decrease in vascular volume, poor cardiac function, or vessel disturbances. Shock results in a shift to anaerobic cell metabolism. Shock management focuses on airway ventilation, oxygenation, circulation, and trans rapid transport. The chain of survival from cardiac arrest includes immediate recognition and activation, early CPR, 
rapid defibrillation, effective ACLS, and integrated post-cardiac arrest care. Okay, we'll see you next time.